This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We call this series, It's Complicated, not to be negative, but because really it is a little bit more complicated. I think when we think of relationships, we think if, if, if it worked out mathematically, if I do A and then add B, it equals C. But working with people, we know it doesn't work that easy. So people are different, different, different situations apply, different backgrounds, different experiences. So it, yeah, it can, it can be complicated. So instead of looking for formulas, we look for principles. And God has the best principles. The God who created us, the God who made us, the God who knows us, knows exactly how we tick and what works. And so we look for his principles and the Bible's full of his principles and they are great principles for our relationships. Now, the challenge is God's ways are different. And so we think uh, sometimes if I said, hey, how could you improve the relationships in your life? Immediately, many times our tendency tends to go to our needs. Well, I need this. If, if my spouse would do this, if my children would do this, if my friends would just do this. And we often think of, of what we need coming our way. We think needs, God thinks seeds. What can I plant? What can I do? What can I give to help change this situation and turn it around? So this morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about doing good. And we're going to talk about planting seeds and, and that. But I think we have to understand God's ways are different. And the, his ways and the world's ways work very different. Now think about it. The world works and the mo basic motivators for the world are fear, pride, and selfishness. Fear. How many things are related to fear? The fear that I won't have enough. The fear that somebody's going to do something to me. The fear that if, if I am good, then someone is not going to be good by fear. That's a big one. Then there's pride, the constant judging and, and putting ourselves up against one another and dealing with one another. Pride is just, it's just, it's part of life. It's like, like some people are proud that they're so proud and it's, it's just a pride. There was a, a very arrogant college professor got on an airplane sitting next to an older guy. He could tell that this guy was probably not as sophisticated as he was. So about midway during the flight, the professor gets bored. He, he thought he's going to just kind of prod this old guy. He said, uh, sir, he said, would you like to play a game with me? And the, and the older guy looked at him and went, what kind of game? He said, well, here's the deal. He said, uh, we each get to ask each other questions. And if, like, if I can't answer your questions, I'll give you a dollar. If you can't answer my questions, you give me a dollar. And the older guy said, no, thanks. Don't want to play. The professor, who's not used to being told no, it got irritated. He said, what if, what if we do a 10 to 1? If, 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 if I can't answer your question, I'll give you $10. If you can't answer mine, you give me one. And the old, old, old guy said, nah, I'll pass. He bumped it to 50. The old guy said, nah. Finally, he said, look, he said, 100 to 1. If I can't answer your question, I'm going to give you $100. And if you can't answer mine, then you give me one. Old guy sighed. He said, okay. He said, but I get to go first. The professor said, great, go ahead. Old man said, what has five heads, 40 feet, and lives inside a bucket? Well, the professor began to think, man, he went through every riddle. He went through everything he could think of. And after about an hour, man, he was sweating. He was working so hard. Finally, he looked at the old guy. He said, he said I don't know. And he pulls $100 out of his pocket, hands it to the old guy. And then immediately he asked a question. He said, okay, okay, okay guy. He said, what does have five heads, 40 feet, and lives inside a bucket? Old guy said, I have no idea. Here's your dollar. 
The Bible said pride goes before a, yeah, and a loss of a hundred bucks. So it's uh, pride and how about selfishness? I was watching, I was watching some quick sports show yesterday and, and they, the car commercials came on and, I, and the guy told, he looked, he said, he said, if you buy this certain car, he said, the luxury you deserve. And I thought, yeah, that's right. I, I deserve that, that kind. How, mu how much of it gears towards us? The world works fear, pride, selfishness. God's system is different. It works with faith. It works with humility. And it works with love. Faith means that we believe in things we, we don't see. We don't have physical evidence, but we believe. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can start there, you can believe the rest. We're people that believe, people of faith. If you can believe that God is greater and smarter than you, then that really is what humility is. Humility is not putting you down, it's lifting him up. And if you can believe that love and giving is the way to solve things, then it's, it's going to create a different mentality. Stephen Covey, a number of years ago, talked about the scarcity mentality versus the abundance mentality. Scarcity mentality, I think about that, is exactly how the world works. Scarcity mentality says there is only one pie, and if somebody else gets a bigger piece of pie than me, then there's not enough for me. There's not going to be enough to go around, so we fight for resources. We compete for everything. I think that's exactly the way the world works. God works on an abundance mentality. The abundance mentality says there is plenty to go around. In fact, there's even more when that comes from. We're not fighting for resources. There's plenty of abundance. God's way, man's way. God's way is better. And one of the best ways that we can begin to buy into some of God's principles is to buy into one of his wonderful principles of sowing and reaping. Now, when I say sowing and reaping, two things come to mind for a lot of people, depending on how you were raised. I was raised in a Christian household. But my mother used sowing and reaping, especially in a negative sense. She would look at me, she said, son, you remember the seeds you sow, you're going to reap. That wasn't a positive thing. But she was reminding me that I... Because this was usually during my party years, and I'm sowing party seeds. It's going to reap a bad audience anyway. I used to get that over the, when my mom would pray. She couldn't bless the food. She, she preached small sermons. <laughs> or we think of sowing finances. If I sow a financial seed, is that true? Well, yes, it still applies, but it's a bigger spectrum than that. It talks about relationships. Let's look at here. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. This is Galatians 6. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, when it talks about sowing and reaping, one of those, one of those verses in there said, he who sows to the Spirit and sows to the flesh. Now, you know, Honestly, I, I, I used to struggle with that. What's he talking about sowing to the spirit and, and, and sowing to the flesh? And actually, if you, if you look at this whole book of Galatians, keeping in mind that these books of the Bible were not written in chapter and verse, it was a letter. But in the previous chapter that man added for reference sake, it gives us a picture of what the fruit of the spirit is and what the works of the flesh are. And so some of the works of the flesh, now immediately when people think of work, works of the flesh, we think of sexual sins. And that's part of it, but it's only part of it. Because there's also some relational things in there. And there's things like, in the fact, the Bible lists things like hatred, contentions, which is arguing, outburst of wrath, is just blowing up. 
It talks about jealousy. It talks about envy. It talks about selfish ambition. And when we think about these things, we think this, and, and you know this, if you sow mean seeds, you're not going to get a good harvest. These are, and these are just works of flesh, but it also talks about the fruit of the Spirit so we can sow love, we can sow long-suffering, which is putting up with people on kindness, goodness. And so it's talking to us about seeds that we can sow. Now, the beautiful thing about this is this. I know this, and, and after a few years of being married and raising kids, I, I've learned something. I cannot control people in my life. I have tried. It does not work. You can try. You can, you, you can put a gun to someone's head and make them do something, but I promise you their heart's not with you. You can't control. I can't control what people do. I can control the seeds that I plant. And the scriptures are telling us, it says, don't get weary in doing good. Do, we mean doing good. Planting good seeds in other people. Planting good seeds in our relationships. And we can plant good seeds, and if we plant good seeds, in the long run, long term, we're going to reap a good harvest. He said, don't get tired of doing good. He said, in due season, we're going to reap. So as we have opportunity, let's do, good to, let's do good to all, especially to those who are of household of faith. In other words, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's giving us some instructions as to what we can do. And it tells us this. Now, you say, well, that's a, that, that's a, a spiritual principle. Yeah, but it, it, even science and, and the psychologists look at this principle and back it up. Now, they don't talk about sowing and reaping. But they do talk about this. John Gottman, the biggest the biggest uh, probably considered expert on, on marriage. John Gottman says he looks for two things in any marriage. He looks for contempt and he looks for kindness. He said contempt is that overly critical spirit that, that people would carry that sometimes they're so critical that they never see the positive things because they're so focused on the negativities that it often is not there. He said contempt can also show up in giving people the cold shoulder, maybe ignoring them or responding in a minimal way. He said, what, that, what happens is it makes people feel like they are, are not valued, that they're worthless, that they're invisible. He said, that's such a hard thing on a, on a marriage. Now, if I just describe some of your relationships, don't be discouraged. Because he also says that kindness is the opposite effect. That when we sow seeds of kindness, it, has, it, it means something completely different. And we sow seeds of kindness, the other person feels cared for. They feel validated. They feel like they, that they actually have a voice. And that makes all the difference in the world. See, God knew exactly what he was talking about. We sow good seeds. We're going to reap a good harvest. And they've said that if you sow kindness, if you're, you're kind, it said actually seeing kindness inspires other people to be kind, and it creates an upward spiral of love and generosity. It's a good thing. God wasn't kidding. But God who made us knows how we tick. Now, let me show you this morning from the Bible, a great, it's a great picture of someone sowing good seeds, someone doing good. And it's, it's an individual that I have preached on a lot. He's one of my favorites. It's David, and I've actually preached on this chapter a lot. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's 1 Samuel 30, and it's the story of David at Ziklag, but it's the rest of the story. If you remember that story, David was a fugitive. He had about 600 men with him and their families, and they traveled all around Israel. The pressure on them was so bad because Saul wanted to kill David that they had to go into, into the land of the Philistines and live there. They lived in a city called Ziklag, which just sounds like a horrible place, but that's where they lived. And living in Ziklag, 
they le- the, the fighting men left for about three days, and when they came back, they found that a group of Amalekites, who were very warlike people, had come in, burned the city to the ground, took all the valuables, and kidnapped all the women and children. When David and his men saw that, the Bible said David wept until he couldn't cry anymore. And, and then one of my favorite passages, they said, but then David encouraged himself when the Lord is God. And he got stronger. And he prayed. He said, Lord, you want me to go after these people? And the Lord said, go. He said, pursue them. He said, for you are without fail, recover everything. So now David had a word of God and the men got together. They were talking about killing him, but now they were on his side. And off they go to pursue the people that kidnapped their wife and their kids and their stuff. But they, they hit a challenge. So what happened here. David and the 600 men who, who with him came to the Besor Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. Now, let's just stop right there. Uh, we read that, and if you're not careful, you can read straight over it. But do you, do you realize what, what it just said? It said, here they are. They're already outnumbered. This is a huge group of Amalekites they're going after. We'll see that in a minute. This is a huge group of people. If you're in a fight, you want to take as many people as possible with you to a fight. And they weren't going just to fight for no reason. They were going to get their wives and their kids and their stuff back. And yet you've got 200 people, 200 men, 200 fighting men who hit this Besor Valley, some call it the brook, and these guys stop and they go, oh, we're just too tired. Could you imagine David standing there just kind of watching as the troops came across? And uh, he looks over at one of his lieutenants and said, what's that group doing over there? 200 men, one-third of his fighting force. He said, what are they doing? Uh, David, they, um, sir, I hate to tell you this, but they all say that they're too tired. I'm sorry, what did you say? They said they're tired. They're tired? How many of you know that could have been a big fight right there in the middle of the valley? You are, you are tired? We're going after your wife and your... Your little daughter, your little girl has been kidnapped by some Amalekites and you are too tired. I I don't know about you, but that would not have set well with me at all. I would have been semi-angry at that. I'd I'd have been probably more than semi-angry. I'd have been blowing up at somebody. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You're too tired. The Bible said that they didn't stop. They didn't fight. They didn't argue. And David goes on. Let's see what happens. They found a guy who who showed him where the Amalekites were. He said he led David down, and there they were. That's where all the Amalekites scattered all over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. And David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. And David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives, Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him, who were left behind at the Besor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men that were with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and the troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. And David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with which the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to you and what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same 
is that of him who went down to the battle, all will share alike. And David made this a statute and an ordinance in Israel from that day to this. And when David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah who were his friends, saying, here's a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. So impressed with how David handled this. He could have argued with the people. He could have really blasted them. And then they go and fight. They fight from, they fight from evening until dusk of the next day. It's a 24-hour period. They were in the middle of fighting with these Amalekites. 400 escaped, and that means they killed a lot of them. And they're tired, and they're sweaty, and they're bloody, and they get their wives and kids back, and they go, they're going back, and they meet the 200 that were too tired. Now, would this have been a great opportunity to give them a cold shoulder? To treat that, now, I'm sorry, cold shoulder. Let, let me explain that for some, to defriend them. <laughs> you know, block you from my feed. You will not get on my Instagram feed at all. You are so blocked. But these 200 men come out. How many of you know the tendency is, man, you want to treat these guys like, well, here you are. And the Bible said that David inquired is, how are they doing? Hey, guys, how are you doing? You want to go, how are you doing? You've been sitting around guarding the stuff while we've been fighting this entire time. And yet David was kind to him. And not only was he kind, but when the evil men, evil and troublemakers said, don't give them anything, David said, no, 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 no. And he gave them an equal share. That's an amazing story. That's amazing character. And not only did he give them an equal share, but then David was generous enough to share with all the people that he, he gave gifts to all the people around. You, you see such a great heart in David. And you're like, how in the world could David do this? And David had a secret. David trusted that it was God who gave him victory. It was God who enabled him to do what he did. It was God who supplied from him. I really believe that David had a great example of a God-infused abundance mentality. That if God is for me, then nobody can be against me. If God is on my side, there's going to be more where that came from. So he can be gracious to people. He can be kind to people. He can be generous to people. And David sowed some really good seeds. Now, in our life, when we think about doing good in our relationships, sowing good seeds, how do we even begin to do that? The beautiful thing about it is, is you can always start. But first, you're going to have to buy into the idea that sowing and reaping is God's plan. It's not quick. It's not a quick turnaround. One of the challenges we deal with today is we're so accustomed to things coming fast, but it's not fast. It's a long-term strategy, but it's God's plan, and it works. So we buy into the sowing and reaping. The second thing we buy into is the idea that really this principle of, of sowing good seeds is the golden rule. Anybody remember hearing about the golden rule? You never hear about that anymore. The golden rule. Someone in the world is the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. No, that's not the golden rule. Here's the, here's the golden rule. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This is what Jesus said. So he's talking about sowing good seeds. There was a mom one time who was making pancakes for her six-year-old and her four-year-old boy. She had two boys. And she was making pancakes. The smell of the pancakes was starting to really get to them. They started arguing about who was going to get the first pancake. And uh, the mom used this as an as a object lesson. She stopped. She said, boys, boys. She said, look. She said, we don't want to do that. She said, if Jesus were here, you know what Jesus would say? Jesus would say, oh, no. Let my brother have the first pancake. And the six-year-old looked at the four-year-old and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. So that's what I... <laughs> 
This is what we do it so much in life. We're like, you be Jesus. You, you do that. And yet, God said, whatever you want people to do to you, do to them. Now here, don't add to that verse. And, don't, and don't, don't add to that verse and say, and immediately they will. It just said, you treat them. This is, this is on us. We're going to plant these seeds. We're going to trust that God can give us a harvest. What's one of the first seeds that he plants? Here's some good seeds you can plant. The, the seed of forgiveness. The seed of forgiveness, especially with those people who disappoint you. You know David had to be disappointed with those 200 fight, fighting men. He obviously had to forgive them and move on. The seeds of forgiveness when people disappoint you. I, I had that happen this week when my daughter dropped a bombshell on me. We were sitting there on the, on the sofa. She was visiting with my grandson sitting on the sofa. And she looked across at me and she told me, she said, Dad, now that we've moved to Dallas, she said, I just want to let you know that we're going to start pulling for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and, and, she said, I'm going to raise Grant to pull for the Dallas Cowboys, my only grandson. I looked at her and these words actually came out of my mouth. I said, I did not raise you that way. <laughs> and she decided to drop this on me on the fourth quarter of that meltdown in, in, in New Orleans. But you know what? Out of the kindness of my heart, I just forgave her. Now listen, we're laughing. But how many parents have had to sit down with, with kids and have the kids disappoint them or tell them that they didn't want to follow their values or tell them something that just really struck the parent's heart? And you have, you have opportunity, but what are you going to do? Are, are you going to just be angry and mad? Are you going to forgive them? Listen, forgiveness does not say that what they're doing is right, but forgiveness says, I'm going to resist the temptation to hit back at you and to hurt you back. It says, I'm, I'm going to forgive. Forgiveness is something that we give. And that's a huge subject, I know, but it's, it's one of the best things that we can begin to do. And it really forms the, the I, I really think forgiveness, the ability to receive forgiveness and ask for forgiveness, forms the foundation of any good relationship. Over the years, Joy said, that's what probably saved our marriage in the early days, was my willingness, because it usually wasn't her, it was me, it was my willingness to say I'm sorry, but then her willingness to forgive and for us to go on. I've had to ask all of my children to forgive me at different times when I said the wrong things and have done the wrong things. And one of the things that I've noticed in our, in our family is, is that we are a family that apologizes. And that helps us keep our relationships as good as can. And listen, you've got, you've got spouses, you've got in-laws, you've got all these things, but the ability to say I'm sorry and the ability to give forgiveness is a foundational principle. Sowing seeds of forgiveness. Sowing seeds of kindness, especially to the weak. David, what really David did to that 200 men was he, he recognized that they were weak. They had to be weak. The fact that they couldn't go and fight, they wimped out. But David was kind to them. And I think understanding that all of us have weak spots. When, when Joy and I were married, I, I've always been amazed. My wife is extremely tough. She's extremely... Uh, just resilient, but, but she, has, she has some weak spots. One of her weak spots is she cannot handle throw up or blood. And so whenever our children threw up, and by the way, you have not been a parent until you've had a child throw up on the carpet on their way to the bathroom. That's just parent. That's what, 
And you ask him, why did you not go to the bathroom? I tried. And Joy looks at it and goes, I'm out. I'm like, I, I thought this was in the mother's handbook that all, the moms are supposed to, to do this. But she's out. Well, she can't handle blood either. Matt, Matt cut himself. He's five. He cut himself one time, sliced, his, sliced under his chin, fell in the bathtub, sliced under his chin. I looked at it and went, okay, we got to go get stitches. I tell Joy, I said, I don't need you to freak out. I need you to be calm. We got to go take him in. Joy sees him and goes, <gasps> and Matt immediately starts to, to, to scream and then she dials it down. We take him to the we take him to the hospital. We're standing there and they bring out a long needle to put it right into the cut. And I look for my... <laughs> she left the room. I'm like, mom? I'm the one that has to stand there and watch that. And in fact, the, the nurse looked over at me and said, do we need a chair for dad? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm just... It was, it was a, a weak spot. And I could have hammered her on it, but there's no sense in hammering her on it. Listen, listen, punishing weakness does not cure it. And so it's just an area that, we, that we've learned and, and we deal with it. You have to be kind to the weak. Love a story about Doug Nichols in India a number of years ago, uh, 1967. He was doing missions work in India and he contracted tuberculosis and they put him in a sanitarium. And one night he woke up with, with a coughing fit about two o'clock in the morning and across the aisle from him was an older man, just very weak, very emaciated man. And the man was, was trying to get out of bed. He was whimpering, and finally he just fell back into bed and, and whimpered there. And the next morning, Doug realized what he was trying to do. He was trying to go to the bathroom because the smell in that ward was horrible. And all the other patients were yelling at the old man. When the nurse finished cleaning him up, she slapped him. Doug had been trying to reach these people. He tried to pass out tracts. He had tried to, to witness. Nobody wanted to listen to anything he had to say. He's lying there, and the next night he wakes up again, and he hears the old man whimpering again. Except this time, Doug Nichols gets up, and he walks over, and he picks up the old man who weighed virtually nothing, and he carries him to the bathroom, which was really just a hole in the ground. And then he helped him and get him back into bed when he was finished. When he got back in bed, the old man kissed him on the cheek. The next morning, Doug woke up, and there was a cup of steaming hot tea beside his bed. One of the patients had made it for him, and when the patient offered him the tea, he made a, a, a point toward the track and asked for one of the tracks in his own language. And one by one, the different patients in that ward, every one of them came to Doug at some point in time and asked him, could they please have one of those tracks? Kindness is a seed that works. Seeds of kindness, seeds of forgiveness, and the seeds of generosity. Being generous. David was generous to the 200 men. He was generous to the people around him. He just had a generous spirit about him. And that generosity makes such a big difference. Who are we generous to? We're often generous to the people who don't pay us back and the people who come across our path. A man wrote that he used to carry one, he used to wear one of those little cross pins on his, on his uh, lapel. And uh, people would ask him about his pen. He said, every time someone would ask him about his pen, he would take it off and give it to him. He said he bought them by the dozens. He said it was a great way to witness to people. So he walked into a 7-Eleven, a convenience store back on the East Coast. He walked into the 7-Eleven one day, and, and the lady clerk behind mentioned his pen, and he took the pen off to give it to her. It, it took him a while to convince her to take the pen. She did not want to receive it. But finally, she gave him the pen, 
and, and he gave her the pen and he went on. He said years later, he's now a pastor. He said he, he's, he's walking through the lobby and a, and a lady walked up to him and stopped him and said, Pastor, I just want to thank you. She said, uh, she was trembling. She said, you probably don't remember me. She said, but you came in years ago. She said, you came into that 7-Eleven where I was working and you gave me this. And she pulled that pen out of her purse and showed it to him. She said, you do not know how, how bad my life was at that time and how unworthy I felt to even receive such a generous gift. She said, but it just was a, it just struck me that how much God loved me. She said, I just want to thank you for changing my life. Little seeds give God an opportunity to work. Seeds of forgiveness, seeds of kindness, seeds of generosity. What's our secret to giving, to, to being generous, to being kind? I think one of them is, is the fact that we have a, a God-infused abundance mentality. This is something I, I want to develop, continue to develop more in my life, that if I have God, then I have everything that I need to be gracious and kind and forgiving to others. If I have God in my life, then I have the basis to plant good seeds. But it's also a reminder that God has been forgiving and kind and generous with me. In Romans 6, it says this, for when we were still without strength, when we were weak, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. One story, a quick story, and I'll, I'll close. In Glasgow, Scotland, a number of years ago, a, 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 a girl was in her home with a family that she thought was too strict. She was rebellious. And one day she finally had enough and she rebelled and she rejected her family, their values and their faith. She left for a life that was free and liberated. And that life that was free and liberated without restraints took its toll. Within a few years, misery had set in and she was living on the streets. She was selling her body for pennies and she was living, only surviving by these rescue missions that were around Glasgow. She didn't even know because she detached herself from her family that her father had died and that her mother was still looking for her. She walked into a homeless shelter one day and saw on a bulletin board a photo that her mom had of herself and scrawled across that photo in her mom's handwriting was, I love you still, come home. And the girl began to, she was so bewildered that her mother would still care. And she began to make her way home. And by the time she got to her house that night, it was midnight. And her heart was racing as she went and knocked on the door. But her expression changed when the door opened. And she was afraid that merely the thought hit her, oh my gosh, someone has crept in. Maybe they've hurt my parents. And she runs into her mom's bedroom and, and grabs her mom and her mom wakes up and embraces her. And then her, the daughter looked at her mom and said, I was so afraid. She said, I was so afraid because the door was open. She said, that someone had come in and hurt you. And her mom smiled. She said, oh no, dear. She said, from the day you left, that door has never been locked. It's never been locked. And I thought, boy, isn't that the truth? Isn't that God for us? That sometimes we've rejected him, we've turned away from him, we've gone the other way, and yet the door has always been open, and all he's saying is, you've got to just come in. Because he's forgiving, because he's kind, and because he's generous. Would you bow your heads this week?
Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.